There is a reason that romance movies end with a wedding instead of beginning with one. There is a reason that some of the most romantic movies are the ones in which the couple does not end up together, but instead their great love, that's with a capital G and a capital L, is thwarted and brought to an untimely end. Think about it. Casablanca, Roman Holiday, Shakespeare in Love, Brokeback Mountain, Titanic, Romeo and Juliet. It's because after the wedding is when the hard stuff starts, which isn't usually what anyone expects. Glennon Doyle Melton describes it this way. The way we're told it goes, meet the one. Fall in butterfly love, have all the feelings. Date, accept proposal. Have a wedding, a.k.a. you've crossed the finish line. You're done. Congrats, Cinderella. That's all, that's, and all that's left now is happily ever after. The way it worked for me. Meet a special one. Fall in butterfly love, have all the feelings. Date, have a wedding, a.k.a. cross the starting line. You've begun. Stuff gets real. Grocery shopping and children and assembling furniture and navigating each other's families and demons and other confusing, terrifying things that keep happening. Slowly understand that marriage is not what you thought it would be and your husband is not who you thought he'd be and additionally, you are not who you thought you'd be. Notice there are no more butterflies. Panic like bloody hell. Understand with mounting dread that life has killed the butterflies and this must mean you've fallen out of love. Look into separation. There is much more to Doyle Melton's story, and we'll get to that. Her honesty about expectations uh, that, uh, that people bring to marriage is startling. This morning's passage in Proverbs hints that even when people's expectations of marriage were entirely different from ours today, there was still this problem of unrealistic expectations. When I read today's passage about the capable wife, my first impression was that obviously some man wrote this, my first clue being that there's no parallel passage describing the ideal husband. Well, as it turns out, the author might be a woman. If you read the first nine verses of this chapter, you'll see that this passage is remembered as the wisdom passed on to King Lemuel by his mother, telling him what to look for in a wife. This passage is a favorite among Christian evangelicals and fundamentalists because it supposedly affirms traditional gender roles. The good wife, for instance, is trusted by her husband, adored by her children, works day and night to take care of her household, and even makes her own clothing. A closer reading, however, shows she's also a successful businesswoman and a profitable entrepreneur. She's described as physically strong, and in addition to being generous and compassionate, she's called unafraid, and she has a sense of humor. And note what isn't here. There's nothing, not a word, about what she looks like, about her weight, shape, makeup, or whether she's stylish, the sole source of women's worth if current popular culture were to be believed. 
Has she achieved younger looking skin? Does she bulge in the wrong places? Does she know what not to wear? We'll never know. Instead, we're told that beauty is vain, in other words, useless, and the passage focuses on her achievements, not her looks. This is a message from our faith that is desperately needed in our culture. So now, even though this passage offers a more three-dimensional picture of a wife than we might expect from the Bible, it's still troubling in that it leaves me out of breath. When does this woman get to sit down? She's working hard everywhere on everything for everyone from dawn to dusk. Speaking for a generation of women who have taken on more roles and responsibilities than ever before and yet still never quite feel as though we've done enough, this ideal is not just unattainable but also can be demoralizing. If King Lemuel's mother did write these verses, Maybe we can excuse her, as we would any parent, for wanting the best spouse for her child. Still, it's small wonder that the passage begins, a capable wife who can find. Because good luck finding every single one of these qualities in one woman or one man, for that matter. Our expectations of marriage have changed dramatically over the last two or 3,000 years. First of all, we don't assume that everyone needs to be married, and that's a huge, wonderful step. Marriage, though, has evolved from arranged to purely economic to romantic to a means of personal fulfillment. As demanding as the Proverbs list appears, marriage today is much more demanding. We expect profound intimacy We expect our partners to help us grow and become the people we want to be. You make me want to be a better man, from the movie As Good As It Gets, could serve as our era's marriage ideal. We expect to stay deeply, romantically in love. You may have noticed that this morning's passage says nothing about either romance or love. We expect to be best friends, soulmates even, for life, which is a whole lot longer than it used to be. (laughs) Our expectations today make the Proverbs list look easy. But what this passage helps us remember is that then and now, there is only one way to be capable spouses, good wives and good husbands. The Proverbs passage describes not qualities, but actions, things this woman does. The tasks or actions that were needed for a good marriage in ancient Israel were different than they are today. But the way of learning them, of becoming that good wife or good husband, is the same. Practice. Rather than thinking of the Proverbs list as what's required in order for a woman in ancient Israel to be the perfect wife, maybe it's more useful to see it as a list of habits that she might have practiced to be a better wife because there's no such thing as the perfect wife or the ideal wife or the perfect or ideal husband. But then as now, if we want a better marriage, we have to practice. How do we practice good marriage in 2015? 
The self-help sections of bookstores and the internet are filled with advice, seven principles for making marriage work, eight essentials of the successful marriage, 10 strengths to make a marriage happy, lists that range from five to 20 secrets that promise marital happiness, and you can even find 30 ways to be a better husband in Men's Health Magazine. All these lists are different, and you put it alongside our passage this morning, they remind us that what a marriage needs depends on the marriage. Not only the time and place, ancient Israel or 21st century North America, but the two individuals that are involved. And along with our passage this morning, they affirm an old marriage counselor's adage. Marriage is not primarily about finding the right person. It's about being the right person. Now, first let me say that there is nothing in that adage that implies that anyone should stay in any relationship that is abusive. I want to be perfectly clear on that. And there's another thing that I'd like to change about that old saying. I'd say marriage is not about being the right person, but about becoming the right person, knowing that no matter how long we practice marriage, we will still never be perfect for each other, never made for each other in the way that the movies and the love songs try to tell us we ought to be. Stanley Hauerwas writes, we never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while and he or she will change. The primary challenge of marriage is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. We left Glennon Doyle Melton's story about the difference between fantasy, the fantasy of marriage and the truth of marriage when she was thinking about separation. She continues and I've left in most of her colorful language. Start to learn how horribly difficult it will be to get unmarried for you and everyone you love, and also, holy crap, it costs a lot. Try to locate a path of less resistance. Search for some solution that is less emotionally and physically and mentally and financially expensive. It's often not love that makes us stay, but the expense of leaving, and that's okay. Ask for help. Meet with experts, talk to wise people, read good books. Mostly, be still and listen for the next right thing in the quiet. Wait. Sit with the pain. Sit with the struggle. Sit with the uncertainty. Resist the relentless urge to deflect the pain, run from the pain, numb the pain with food, booze, work, unkindness, false certainty, busyness, or any other wisdom killer. Just be still and wait. Slowly embrace the truth that a million warriors have discovered before you. You have not fallen out of love. You have fallen out of infatu infatuation and into love. Like it or not, this is it, sister. This is love. It ain't the Disney version, it's the real version. The Disney version is easy and shiny and struggle-free and happily ever after, but the real version is about allowing struggle to morph you into a bigger, more spiritual being. Real love is about metamorphosis, and metamorphosis is 50 shades of pain. Just ask the butterfly. 
to let love work on you, to let the metamorphosis happen, you must allow the illusions of who you thought you were to fall away. Look reality dead in the eye and open your arms wide to the real him, the real you, real marriage. Fine, you'll take it. You don't need shiny, you just need real. You understand now that butterfly chasing is a shallow waste of a life because butterfly chasers never settle into real love. Real love is not a fluttery feeling. It's not butterflies. It's not pink. It's not glittery. It's not fluffy. It's not even all that exciting on the surface. Love looks like work. Real love is a daily decision to get to work. Love is work done by tired, hopeful, ordinary folks. Show up to work every day. Do loving things for your partner as an act of will, regardless of how you feel. Assume that eventually loving feelings will come because that's what they tell you. Keep your head down and keep love working. Notice out of the peripheral vision that your spouse has his head down and his love working every day, too. Not necessarily at you or to you yet, you're not ready for that, but with you. He's working alongside you, tending to the field of your family, sweating, sewing, day in and day out. Raise your eyebrows at that. Feel the respect for your spouse's love work. Take root and grow a little inside of you. Then notice that this, is, that this respect for your spouse's commitment to keep showing up is turning into warm feelings. This warm feeling is not butterflies. Butterflies are for children, and this is very adult. It's more solid. It feels grounding instead of flighty. Hmm. Start feeling loving feelings a little each day. Download the truth that, yep, Feelings follow work. Repeatedly act loving, and eventually you will find yourself feeling loving. Promise yourself you will never forget that love is not something to wait for or wonder about or search for or hope for, but something to show up every day to create. Love does not just happen. It's forged. Consider planning a vow renewal ceremony since you and your husband are adults now and you finally understand what a vow means. You've seen that vows can come to life after they're broken, just like every other freaking thing. Broken is the beginning. You are in love now. Congrats. It's not what they promised you when you were young, but it's good. There is a person you truly know and you love. And there is a person who knows you and loves you still. Start over every freaking morning. Go to sleep every night feeling exhausted and blessed as hell. Her story is not every married couple's story, but bits and pieces of it will feel like holy truth to most married people. The holy truth that the hard times of marriage drive us to experience more of the transforming love of God, but also more of God's grace-filled acceptance. How to be a capable husband? 
a good wife, seven principles, ten steps, twenty secrets. I have just one favorite secret, and it's on your bulletin covers. I share this in nearly every wedding homily I've ever given, and a few years ago, I wrote Chronicle columnist John Carroll and thanked him for this. Marriage is not for sissies, he writes. Marriage is a lot like life, only with more fun parts. My experience with marriage is that it is as fluid as water and as complex as the human mind, and that everyone does it differently, and the only secret is showing up every day with an open heart. May it be so for you and for me. Amen.